Thank you for joining the Cornerstone Worship Center podcast, Building a Better Life. Let's join Dr. John Holler for 1 Corinthians chapter 15. guitar down there. They're just having fun. They're just playing their music loud like they like it. Got a special speaker down there, Phil Valdez from Valdez, I guess they pronounce it, from uh, uh, El Paso, Charles Neiman's church. Huge church, thousands of people, youth, youth groups. Massive. And so we're really delighted to have Phil here. And he's a graduate of Christ for the Nations, which makes him you know, like a genius or something. All right. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. Okay, now listen to this. Four things. I'm declaring unto you the gospel. He said, I'm about to tell you what I've already told you. I'm about to tell you again what I've already told you before. And he writes it in the book. There's a book in here. It doesn't look like a classic Bible, but I'll tell you something. These little computer Bibles have done more for my staff than, than carrying a paper and, and binder Bible around because in here is all kinds of helps, many translations, and, and Greek and Hebrew definitions just like that. That's why these guys know the word. Part of the reason why they know the word like they do is because we got them good helps. We study the Bible and we study the Bible together. Not many pastors and their staffs do like we do. I mean, I don't know many. I've talked to pastors. My pastor never mentored us. He never taught us the Bible. I mean, he, he, you know, he was already preparing for sermons for the church, but he never did get the staff together and teach us. We do it every week. We do it every week. We take this seriously. I mean, we may not do some some things well, but we study the Bible. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. It is our number one job. But, but we go over and over and over these truths. See, if you don't keep hearing them, you will forget them. I'm going to prove that from what Paul teaches about here. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. So he's just saying, he's, he's warning them, I'm about to tell you yet again. The gospel which I preached unto you, which you also have received, and wherein you're now standing. They're standing in the gospel? Absolutely. Standing in the gospel. I think, wait a minute, Paul. We already heard that. I know sometimes. I know sometimes. You think, okay, here it comes. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. I mean, you can tell when it's coming. It comes in virtually every sermon that we preach. I just think it's a travesty that people are called to preach the Gospel and don't preach the Gospel. I just think that's sad. I spent some years not doing it until Paul jerked my chain. So I jerked his chain. Not Paul's, his. And, and the other people with me. So we we got to do this. We just have to do this. Let's focus on the real deal. Why are we really here? But we stand there not just, not just to say Christ died for our sins. He was buried and rose again the third day. 
We stand in that gospel because what he did when he died and was buried and rose again was purchase things for us. We stand in that gospel that created not only our eternal life and heaven to come, but created everything that God ever did. When Jesus was going around making promises, he was making promises in that he was building a covenant. He was building a covenant. People no longer believe in covenant, I mean, as a whole. I know you all do, because when you get married, you actually have a ceremony and you make promises. These days, it seems like people just move in together. Because they're not going to make a bunch of promises because they know they're probably not going to keep them. Mm. I hope that wasn't a pen I heard dropping. Oh, But you do. God's people do because we understand what covenant is. Covenant is based upon the giving of our lives, which is what the blood of Jesus did. But it was also based upon Him making promises. I mean, why would He... He could have died in the manger. His blood would have taken away the sins of the world there because he was no more the Son of God hanging on that cross 33 years later than he was when he was a baby in that manger. He was the Son of God, and his blood was divine. He could have taken away the sins of the world at any point in his life. Could have. His blood would have paid the price at any point. But babies don't go around teaching people. They're still learning how to walk. Right? And, and as a priest, and the, the one, the Melchizedek priesthood, which he was going to represent, he could not even take his priesthood until he was 30 years old. Well, that's why he waited until he was 30. He wanted to do everything right. He wanted to do it by the book. Ah, and when he was 30, and he came on the scene like a roaring lion. Glory to God. And he bit, went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him, but he did something else. He preached everywhere he went. And he taught the Word of God. And he made the most astonishing promises, Miss Becky. I mean, he made the most astonishing promises. He said things like, if you, if, if you uh, abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. You ask what you will. Not my words. These are his promises. You ask what, and I'm called to preach his promises, not what I think about it. I'm called to preach to you what he said. Hallelujah. Give you the promises he made. He made promises that are astonishing. Glory to God. There's a girl sitting right here on the front row that doctors would have given up for dead a long, long time ago. But she's not dead tonight. She's walking. They said she's never going to walk anymore. Well, she's walking tonight. And she's right here on the front row. Praise God. Still shout the victory. Now, now, I'm not saying she doesn't have challenges, but she's been using her faith and using the Word of God. And she's still here with us. Glory to God. Giving praise to Jesus because she's got to hold somebody else's word. I mean, the doctor has an opinion, but Jesus already laid down an opinion. He already made promises. You abide in me, my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Glory be to God. Not that difficult to understand. It's not that if Jesus said, and I'm going to say it again, if Jesus said you must come into the kingdom like a little child, then he did not write the Bible to, to, to PhDs. He wrote the Bible so little children could understand. If we got to act like little kids to get into the kingdom, then that Bible written somebody who can understand it. It's not that complicated. Glory be to God. I mean, how hypocritical would that be? So you got to be like a little kid to get in, but my book's going to be written to heady people. My, book, my, my book's going to be written to really smart people who can understand what I believe. No! you got to be like a little kid to get in. you got to be like a kid to read the Bible. 
come help you. I love this. Verse 2, by which also you are saved. That word saved is not the same word as right, made righteous. I want you to hear it. You stand in this gospel. He said we stand in this gospel by which you're also saved. That does mean saved. But it means more than what you think saved means. It's not just talking about going to heaven. That word saved is the word sozo, S-O-Z-O. And it's pronounced with a D in it, sozo. Okay? Sozo. And, it, and the power of this word is, is that it can be translated mean, to mean delivered. It can be translated to mean healed. It can be translated to mean set at liberty. It can be translated to mean run to safety. It can, be, it, can be, it can be translated to mean all kinds of really powerful things. It is the biggest word for salvation in the Bible. And it doesn't always mean made righteous. It doesn't always mean born again, although that's included. It really sometimes can be, I mean, it can just be used for all kinds. Just like the word logos is one of the largest words there is. It's the largest in meaning that there is in the Bible, logos. It, we, we say it means word, but it means, oh, so much more than that. It means every kind of word that there is. I mean, it, it can just mean all kinds of things, and sozo is one of those words. It has powerful meaning, and what he's really saying to us, you get standing in this gospel, you stand here in this gospel by faith, and then every part of your salvation comes into play. That's why he kept saying the gospel to them, because if you can get, just get your mind wrapped around what Jesus did, then everything Jesus said can happen for you. If you can really get a hold of what he did, the reason I keep saying it like this is because I know, I mean, I, 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 I'm with, I, I talk to people all the time who are really in-depth in, in the Word of God, real serious about the Bible. And they walk up to me and say, Pastor, but how do we get over sin? How do you get over sin? I had one say that to me not too long ago. Took him, took him by the arms, and I said, it wasn't Pastor Eric, but took him by the arms, and I said, Repeat after me. Jesus died for my sins. I'm telling you, he went just like this. And I forgot. You forgot the gospel? Thought he had to do something to fix it. What are you going to do to fix it? You're going to unspill the milk? How you to fix that? If Jesus didn't die for it, you're going to have to. There's no fixing it. Everybody understand that? There's no going back. Well, I, I didn't mean to say that. Yeah, but you did say that. And so we pulled the nails out when you said I didn't mean to, but the hole's still there. Hmm? How are you going to fix it? You can't. you got to use your faith to Jesus died for my sins. He was buried. I don't have to be buried. He rose again the third day. That means he's right now Lord over every aspect of my life. Every shortcoming that you have, Jesus has taken care of that. If you'll use your faith and believe that way, you'll be surprised how quickly you'll start acting that way. As long as you're sin conscious, you'll be conscious of sin. Huh? They asked the great theologian Jimmy, Jimmy Johnson, former, for, former coach of the Dallas Cowboys. They asked him, they asked him, how is it that your teams? Now this is back when we were winning Super Bowls. We don't smell of them now, but we used to. We used to win. I mean, there's never even been to win nowadays, but I mean, it used to be. 
back back in the 90s, and they asked him, he said, how is it that your teams fumble less than others? How, how do you do that? How do you keep your running backs? And there's Emmitt Smith, and how, how is that? I mean, one, at one, one point, we just went a long, long streak without any fumble. They asked him, how did you do that? He said, I learned to stop saying, don't fumble. He said, I learned to just tell them, hold on to the ball. Huh? He said, because he said, if I focused on the fumble, they'd go right out there and do it. No matter what I said about it, if I even used the word fumble, they'd go out there and do it. Wow. Wow. You'd think the church would get a hold of this eventually. I think preachers do it on purpose. I think they talk about sin all the time, sin all the time, sin all the time, because it keeps your people sinning, and now they have something to preach about. I don't want somebody enticing me to sin and then condemning me for it. That's that's the devil's work. Amen. Praise God. How many of you have sinned since you've been saved? Hey, I didn't say raise your hand. <laughs> that's just a little preacher joke. Anyway, <laughs> I raised my hand. Oh, my. That was a lot of fun. If you... He says, if you keep in memory what I've preached unto you, this is why we have to say it over and over. Because he says the most frightening thing, he says, lest you have believed in vain. Don't forget the power of the gospel. Don't forget that day you walked that aisle. Don't forget that day he touched your heart. Don't forget that day when the gospel changed you. You might have been driving in your car. You might have been riding a tractor. You might have been... Like our cowboy that comes here, you might have been riding a horse. You might, have, but it might have been when you stood up and walked down the aisle and met with the preacher and met with God. I don't know how it happened to you. I remember the day Ronnie Mills walked down that aisle. Oh, praise God! I'll never forget. I'll never forget. I remember how it happened to me. Eric remembers how it happened. I know you. You, you remember. You remember there was this moment where a transformation took place in your life. And they said, don't forget that. Don't forget that. Don't forget the moment the gospel changed everything. I don't know what it, how it happened to you, but it changed everything. Miss Ann and I were a couple of teenage kids married, and, and our lives were headed for a shipwreck. I mean, we were just headed for disaster. We were just a clunker going for a bridge to drive through. And then came Jesus and changed everything for that. Gave us a purpose for living and everything changed. I have a cousin by marriage that my uncle who passed away is his son-in-law. He came up to me and he he's, he's a, I don't know, he used to work as a supervisor for a tire company up in Ardmore, Oklahoma. And I don't know if he's retired now or what he's doing, but he, he's always made good money. He's uh, named Paul Riley. I don't know if any of y'all have ever come across Paul Riley, but Paul Riley was a big old stout football player. You see him, he looked like Mike Ditka on Scary. You know, just a big old stout guy. You can't hardly walk with his arms doing like this. And I'm not talking about for lifting weights. I'm just talking about that's how he looked. And uh, he always was real tough, football-oriented, and, and uh, sports-oriented, you know, just kind of a hard man. I don't know, about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, he got saved. 
you know, he was huge with us when we first came in. Paul got saved while I went up to Africa. Man, he was on fire. He was telling me how he's witnessing to his friends. And he's part of First Baptist Church. Part of First Baptist Church. And all he can think about is being saved. Glory to God. Glory to God. Amen. How many of you were impacted by Baptists when you came to Christ? When you believed in Christ? Praise the Lord. Praise God. And he is. He just talked about Jesus. Talked about Jesus. Talked about how how when the, when the Lord came into his life. He said, Paul, this is awesome. He said, he said, he said, Brother John, we want you. I go, oh, I'm going to I go, I'm going to I said, you'll like it. So I did what I do here. I preached the gospel of Christ. I told him that, that Christ died for the weak. Christ died uh, for sinners. And Christ died for his enemies. That's what it says in Romans chapter 5. I'm going to talk about Romans 5, 10 in just a few minutes. But this guy was so centered on, you hear me, he was so centered on that moment. Now, he, I'm not saying he was very deep. He was actually kind of shallow. But he knew what he knew. Glory to God, he knew what he knew. And he knew Jesus, and he knew how to get saved, and he knew how to tell somebody to get saved. I've known people 40 years who have been saved 40 years, don't know how to tell somebody to get saved. This guy had it. And after I preached the gospel to him, he said, does the gospel preacher do? He said, well, you know, I've heard a bunch of them and didn't do it. Man, that's like an auto mechanic that didn't have tools. I'm going to try to take, use my hands here to fix your car. I think I can, I think I can get it there. Well, but you know, all i got is my fingers. Get away from my car, man. No, I really know what to do. I don't care if you do know what to do. You're not using the tools. Put the tools on that thing. Amen. The tool of a preacher is the gospel. This is what works. Amen. Well, if you keep in memory, it says, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ did what? Now, notice what, notice the next phrase. I want to slow down a little bit. We know he died for our sins. And how did he do this? In accordance with the Scriptures. Christ died with our, uh, for our sins in accordance with and in accord. That is, according to what the Scripture said he was going to do. So, so our faith isn't just in Christ dying for our sins. It is in that, but it's not just in that. It's in that Christ died for our sins in the way the Bible said he was going to do it. Hallelujah. In the way the Bible forecasts that it was going to happen. Prophesied hundreds of years before that he was going to die for our sins. Isaiah chapter 53 is the single most graphic moment concerning the death of Christ. Isaiah 53, in fact, is the one passage of Scripture. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we've all turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. Mm. That he's going to make his soul an offering for sin later on in that passage. It's the one passage that if you ever have a Jewish friend, talk to them about Isaiah 53. If you ever have a Jewish friend or a Jewish acquaintance, you could be talking about your faith. You go straight to Isaiah 53 and talk to them about Jesus dying. It's the one passage that they have no answer for because their Messiah, they're expecting still to this day, expecting a militaristic Messiah, not one that came to die 
they know in their Bible. Those that know the Bible, those Jews that know the Bible, they know that that's a Messianic passage. They know that's about their Messiah. But it's the only place that is in their face about him dying for them. And many Jews have stopped wrestling with it, have come to the, come to the thought that maybe that's talking about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Okay? Well, talk to them about him dying his suffering. And then verse 4, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. How? Oh, according to the scriptures. There it is again. Now, why would Paul, why would Paul go out of his way to put that according to the scriptures in there twice? Mario's got any idea? They keep us, that's a great question. To keep us on the Bible, that's why. To keep us from getting strange and weird ideas about this gospel. To establish the gospel firmly in the Bible. It's all done according to the scriptures. Now, he's not trying to prove this to Jews. No, no, no. He's talking to Corinthians here. He's talking to you. He's talking to Gentiles here. And he's saying, if you want to keep this established, keep reading about it in the book. Keep hearing about it from your preachers. Glory to God. It's according to the Scriptures. It's so sad how much unbiblical talk there is in the church. It's just sad how much unbiblical talk there is in the church. How, how we get ideas that certain things are the way you're supposed to do it. See, we, we have a tradition, and we're not, real, we're not real inflexible about it. In fact, I think we're very flexible about it. But we have a tradition here that we receive communion on the first Sunday. You know, well... Several Pentecostal denominations do that. I think Baptists do that. Maybe some others. We, we, we receive communion on first Sunday. Now, what if we don't receive communion on first Sunday? There's not one place in the Scriptures where anybody can go and say, hey, we didn't receive communion. We're all going to hell. You can't do that because it's not, it's not according to Scripture, right? Some people say, well, you're supposed to receive the Lord's Supper every time you come together. I don't think that's according to Scripture. It's okay. It's just one of those things, you see. The things that the things that are important, we want we take them strictly from the scriptures. But some things they're variables. Let's admit we sh we should take the Lord's Supper every opportunity we get, every opportunity we get. But it is variable as to how often that is. Verse five, and that he was seen of Cephas, that is the apostle Peter. Cephas is another word for stone. And he was seen of Cephas, or Peter, then of the twelve. And after that, he was seen of Cephas, and of the twelve. And after that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present time, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. What? Wait, 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 I already said the 12. Now this is, this is Peter and the 12. That's James, John, James the less. Who's this James? Peter and the 12. Who's this James? This is James the Lord's brother. Evidently, Jesus 
own brother. This is when that James came in. And then there were other apostles. Don't ever get the idea that the original 12 were the only apostles there were. That was 12 and Paul. There were other apostles. But those 12 stand out as the apostles or the, the first 12 were the disciples of the Lamb or the apostles of the Lamb, as they're called in the book of Revelation. They have a specific function. Is it Matthew 19? Would you look that up where Jesus says, you, you 12 will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's why in Acts chapter 1, when, when after Judas had lost his position, they filled that position because they knew that they were in eternity going to be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah, right? Twelve being the number. Everybody hear me. I'm not big in numerology, but those, these numbers do stand out with, with great significance sometimes. You want to know who those four and twenty elders, those twenty-four elders in heaven are? They are the heads of the twelve tribes of Israel and the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Matthew 19, 28, read it, Pastor Eric. the 12 tribes of Israel. That's why we keep going over and over this. Don't forget, they're not going to be judging the nations. They will not judge the nations. They will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. It makes it very, very clear there is a difference in Jews and Gentiles. How many of you have understood this so far by our teaching the Scripture? Big difference between Jews and Gentiles and how we'll be treated in the end time. Now, we all get saved by faith. Well, all righteousness comes one way. It doesn't come, any, doesn't come a whole bunch of ways. It comes by faith. But the Jews are in the law, and Jews are not in the law. And Christ is the end of the law. I think it's uh, Romans 5, 3, isn't it? Christ is the end of the law to all those who believe. Amen. For righteousness, it says. The Bible, the Scripture is very clear. I studied that this morning. Very clear that for righteousness' sake, Christ is the end of the law. Not the end of the law for, for those who are under the law. After that, he was sent of James. Then of all the apostles. Wow. So he was seen of Cephas and the twelve, Peter being one of the twelve. Then he was seen of James, and I'm assuming this is James, the Lord's brother, and of all the apostles. Wow. All the apostles. The twelve, Peter, James, the Lord's brother, who wrote the book of James who was the pastor of the Jerusalem church, historians say. We find out about him in Acts chapter 15. Wow. Brother William. I want to take a few minutes and tell you a story. Anybody here know who Chuck Colson is? Chuck Colson is fine, fine ex-convict. He was one of the Watergate guys. He was one of Nixon's henchmen. And he was an attorney. And he was an atheist, at least an agnostic. He didn't know if he was an agnostic or an atheist at all. I've heard him say it both ways, so who knows what it was. But he claimed he did not believe in God, in the existence of God. He... Uh, <coughs> 
and for those of you who may not know, an atheist says there is no God, an agnostic says I don't know if there's a God. Okay. They're both liars, of course they're liars. He said uh, he went to prison for his role in the Watergate scandal. And he read all the books, you know, and decided he was going to read the Bible. He'd never had read the Bible. So he started reading the Bible, and he read it with a very critical eye. And while he was reading the Bible, he came across another book in the, in the, in the prison library called Mere Christianity. I don't know if any of you have ever read Mere Christianity. It's written by C.S. Lewis, one of the, one of the, base, one of the most genius writers uh, of the last hundred years. He and J.R. Tolkien were just enormously talented and geniuses in the way they told their stories because they, could have, they, had this, they had this line of understanding that only geniuses can hold on to where he could think out a story and have little details pop up years later in the story as he's writing seven volumes in a series called The Chronicles of Narnia. I know you've heard of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, The Chronicles of Narnia. This is C.S. Lewis's work. And an adult can read it and see Jesus everywhere, see the kingdom of God everywhere while they're reading a fanciful story to their children. If you can get over the centaurs and all of the Greek mythological uh, characters that are there, that just doesn't bother me. They're nothing, really. But they're fanciful characters. But it's a marvelous story all about Jesus, this great lion named Aslan, who is, who is the type of Christ in his stories. Just brilliantly done stuff and stood through the ages of writing. Now, I said all that to tell you. He also wrote some very serious books. I mean, these were serious books, but he also wrote some books for, for really smart people to read. Which is why when I read Mere Christianity, I had to read about four sentences and, and stop and think about it, get a dictionary out and look at, you know, look up words and go back and read it again and then ask Ann to explain it to me. I mean, it was tough, tough stuff. But if you can understand it, the man's brilliant. If you can understand it, it really does open your eyes. And there's, there are several sections in there that give you great, great arguments for the existence of God and therefore Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. He read that and began to think, well, okay, okay, okay. This sort of does kind of make sense that maybe Jesus is who he says, but I, I still can't get to believe this business about him being God. I mean, okay, he was a good guy. What he did was, as a trial attorney, he put the apostles on trial, did his own research, and found out how the 12 apostles died. It's all historical fact. He did his own research, called up these apostles in his own mind and through his own study, and put these guys on trial, found out how they died. And you know what he said? Not one of them was lying. Every last one of them was telling the truth. A skeptical trial attorney when he put the apostles of the Lamb on trial. This tells you why Peter, James, John had to die like they did. John died. I mean, he was killed. He just didn't die. He was boiled in oil. Boiled in oil. That would kill anybody. Didn't kill him. Just didn't kill him. And Andrew crucified on an egg-shaped cross. Thomas Drawn and quartered. No, no, Thomas was flayed alive. Uh, uh, 
Bartholomew was drawn and quartered. I believe it was Bartholomew who was drawn. You know what drawn and quartered is? Uh, I hate to tell it here. Drawn and quartered is they take a big draft horse or an elephant or some kind of animal like that, and they, they hook a chain to each limb, and then they one on each limb, and then they yeah, drive them all away and tear the man limb from limb, drawn and quartered. Can you imagine dying like that? They, died, they, they, just, they just died horrible deaths. And every one of them could have recanted. Every one of them could have said, hey, 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 hey uh, just kidding. I made the story up. Charles, uh, Charles Colson said he put them on trial and he figured out that if the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a hoax, everybody with me? If the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a hoax, the only people who could have perpetrated this hoax on planet Earth, the only people that could have foisted this hoax upon mankind was these 11. Mary couldn't have done it. I mean, it'd be virtually impossible against the Roman guard in front of the tomb, but somehow, let's just assume they got around that. Track these guys down one by one. Take some years to do it, but one by one they track them down. And he said, as a trial attorney, I knew this to be part of the human condition. And he said, and as an ex-con, he said, I knew this to be part of the human condition. As a Watergate participant, he said, I knew this to be part of the human condition. Men will not die for a lie they know is a lie. Men will not die for a lie they know is a lie. He said in the Watergate, he said men wouldn't even, wouldn't even go to prison for a lie they knew was a lie. Men will not die for a lie they know is a lie. Police officers used to use this on people all the time. They'd find a girl raped and injured in the park because she's a liar. They get her, they said, would you recognize the man that did this to you? She said, yeah, it's a guy in my building. He's a new guy in the building. I, his name is George, George something or other. But he lives two doors down from me. I know it was him. So the police go there, knock on the door, drag George down to the police station, and start accusing him of killing this girl. We found her body. You killed her, George. You might as well admit it. It's not going to be very long. George is going to start singing. Yeah, I beat her up. I raped her. But she was alive when I left her. Because he's not going to die for a lie he knows is a lie. You follow that? Men will not do it. I mean, think about it. Think about it. You've told a lie. You've told a lie to make yourself look good. But you live in a land where lying is, is illegal. And they can kill you for it. They track you down. They hold the nails to your, the, the, they hold the spikes to your wrist. And they say, all you have to do is tell the truth. We know, we know you're lying. We know you're lying. And if you'll tell the truth, you walk away free. Just Stop this lie. Tell us now. Are you going to die right now? How many of you think you might just start singing the truth? Of course you would. Men will not suffer like that for a lie they know is a lie. Oh, yeah, men will die for a lie they don't know is a lie. The kamikazes, the kamikazes are proof of this. They flew their airplanes right into, the, right into our, our uh, ships over there because they thought the emperor was God. Hear me. 
They thought the emperor was God. They had been lied to. They died for a lie. They didn't know it was a lie. But there was one guy in Japan who knew it was a lie. How many of you know who knew it was a lie? The emperor knew it was a lie. Even his great general, after they, after the first atomic bomb on August the 6th, 1945, blew Hiroshima away, the general still said, let's go get him. The emperor said, no. No, 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 this is, oh, no, you're a god. So he talked the emperor into not surrendering on the first bomb. Three days later, August the 9th, they blew Nagasaki away with this warning. 72 hours from now, we're bombing Tokyo. Who lived in Tokyo? Yeah, the big dude. And the, and the general still said, let's fight, let's fight. We cannot lose you or God. The emperor said, ah, it's over. It's over. They bombed your house. We'll let that happen. They ain't bombing my house because I know the truth. But the Kamikazes die for a lie. They don't know it's a lie. But the guy who knew the truth stopped it. Can I have a good amen? amen. Not one. Not one. Everybody said not one. Not one of those 11 recanted. And they went to their most horrible deaths. Peter crucified upside down. Andrew crucified on an egg-shaped cross, dying the most horrific deaths. And all along, all they had to do was say, it's, we made it up. It didn't really happen. says, many infallible proofs. It was proof. That proof will stand up in any court in the world. Testimony of a man of faith born in his own blood. That's the truth. That's the truth. Glory to God. That's the truth. Huh? Well, well what about David? David Koresh did not die as a martyr. He was a child molester, and he knew he was going to prison. So he killed himself and killed everybody with him. Don't forget, he was a child molester. Plus an idiot. Because that's who we all know. I mean, that guy was brain dead. Defending David Koresh in this church. <laughs> he was seen of above 500 at once. Wow, can you imagine that church service? 500, I mean, they, what were they gathered together for? 500 people, that, Christians didn't just hang out together. Not after the leader's been crucified. What were they doing together? They were having church. church, and Jesus walked in and said, I think I'll be preaching here. You come from to that wall right there. <laughs> Seen a 500 at one time. There he is. Yeah, I know. Be quiet. Wow. 500 at once. Of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some have fallen asleep. 
After that, he was seen of James and all the apostles. Verse 8. And last of all, he was seen of me, Paul, also, as of one born out of time. Wait a minute. When did Paul see him? Paul didn't see him like the others did. He did not know him as a brother. He saw him. remember? Jesus was appeared to them and Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it until I put my finger. Jesus said, well, come over here and do it, boy. Oh, where'd you come from? I do that boy all the time. You got to quit doing that, Lord. <laughs> huh? No? Come, come put, your, put your finger in the nail prints there, Thomas. Be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas said, said, Thomas, because you've seen me, blessed are those, come on, Miss Velma, blessed are those which have not seen and yet believe. The real blessing isn't having seen him. The real blessing is believing when you haven't seen him. Oh, glory. Oh, glory. Paul says he did see him, but he didn't see him in the same way that they did. He saw this great shining spirit. He went on and says, I was born out of time and as one born out of time. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles and I'm not meet or worthy, not, not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now I want you to understand this is not God's opinion of Paul. This is Paul's opinion of Paul. If it had been God's opinion of Paul, God would have said so, but he never said that about Paul. In fact, Jesus said he but chose the vessel. Seemed meet and appropriate for Jesus. But Paul, let me say something about the Apostle Paul. And in this, you've got to keep in mind, God did not pick you because you were perfect. He did not pick you because you had fine features or you had small feet. Or your family photos look good on his wall. He, he, did, he didn't pick you for any of those reasons. He didn't pick you because you were smart. I know that about one Okie. He didn't pick him because he was smart. He didn't pick you because you you had any natural quality that you thought was so wonderful. He just was irresistible. No, he picked you. He <laughs> simply irresistible. No, no, no. He picked you because he loved you. He just picked you because he loved you. It's all about him. Huh? Glory to God. And by the grace of God, Let's say it together. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Oh, I love that. You're not what you are because you're all that. The order of Christ. You, 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 are, you, are, you are what you are because of the grace of God. You've gotten where you are because of the grace of God. All those good things that have come. One day I, I started assessing my life. 
I started thinking about all the good things that were in my life. And I realized that every good thing in my life had come from God. Had come from my real every good thing in my life came as a result of God coming into my life. Now about every bad thing that I've had happen to me. It wasn't wasn't the Lord at all. It was always me or my enemy or something like that, some fleshly stupid thing. But every good thing that ever came into my life came because God was in it. But if you think about it, all the good things in your life, can the Lord not bring them to you? Of course He can. Of course He can. And His grace, it says, which was bestowed upon me, which y'all pardon me for tears, tears, I grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. I mean, he keeps saying it, you know. But he also, I mean, he said, I worked hard, but it wasn't really me. Something was pushing me. I've often said this about my musical ability. Someone said, oh, I wish I had that gift of music you got. I said, no, you don't want this gift of music. I had to work too hard for it. This isn't really a gift. This is payment. guy right here had a gift. He could do in two minutes what it would take me two weeks to learn. I'm not exaggerating. If he would be honest, he'd say the same thing. He could do in two minutes what it would take me weeks to learn. He had a gift. He got that from his mama's side. He just just had it. Music running through his head. Just music running through his right song in his head. How do you do that? Do guitar riffs with his mouth. I I can't do that to this day. I can play the guitar, but I can't do that. I mean, just had it in him. I said, son, if you practice just a tenth of how much I practice, when I said this to you, I said, you'd be on TV. <laughs> he just has it in him. But I worked hard for it. I worked hard. It was my, it was my payment. Yeah, yeah. But then I did, I did, I did get checked not too awful long ago. I was giving this little speech to somebody. I said, oh, here you go. And the Lord said, I didn't give you the gift of music. That's right. I gave you the gift of guts to do it. I gave you that tenacity. That wasn't in you. You were a quitter. And I gave you that never quit attitude. That's kind of the same thing, isn't it, Lord? Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Wow, there it is again. Preaching brings the believer. Preaching brings the believer. Where do we find this, Pastor Derek? How about Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Yeah, read verse 8. That's fine. Read Romans 10. Start reading with verse 8. Verse 17. How about verse nine, uh, 18? Keep reading. Yeah. Yeah. Read on. 
about us. We don't. of God, either salvation comes to you by the grace of God as a gift, or you're working for it, and it's not grace, it's payment. It's either payment, or it's a gift. Now, I don't I don't go to parties where they say, Pastor John wants you to come to our Christmas party. we got all kinds of gifts there for you. They're $20 a piece. I ain't coming to your party. I'm not coming to your party. All right? That's not a gift. You call it what you want to. Huh? People think when they're tithing, they're giving God something. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not giving God anything because you're tithing. The tithe belongs to the Lord. I mean, you can borrow my shovel and bring it back with a bow on it, but it's still not a gift. It's never my shovel all along. Call it whatever you want to, but I know what it really is. Right? You're not saved by... By, by what you do, you say, by what you believe, then it's by grace. It is a faith that it might be by grace. That is, for God gets the glory for this thing. Amen. Oh, there go Paul preaching that gospel to you. Well, I am what I am by the grace of God. Me too. Verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead. I, I've got to get to this. I've just got a couple of minutes to, to give you this. But now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you? You ought to mark this in your Bible. Please mark this in your Bible. For all of those people that you run across and say, oh, we don't really believe in miracles. I'm going to show you what Paul says about that. How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Look at verse 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? He said, if we have no thought, no idea, no preaching, no belief that there's a resurrection from the dead, meaning that there's a resurrection coming, he says, if there's not one coming, one never happened. You see his logic. The reason Jesus rose from the dead was not for God. The reason Jesus rose from the dead was for men. And whatever he did, that set in motion something that was going to happen for us. If there be no resurrection from the dead, then Christ didn't rise. Now I want you to see his logic. You know what he's really saying then? If there are no miracles now, then Christ didn't perform miracles. If there are no healings now, then Christ didn't heal anybody. If there's not going to be a rapture, then Jesus did not ascend. Woo! Because whatever he did, that's what he set in motion for us to happen. Can I have a better amen? We believe that there's a resurrection coming for one reason. 
because he arose from the dead. You say you don't believe it, you're saying you don't believe it about him. You don't believe in miracles? You ought to mark this. You're going to, you're going to use this to help your friends understand what the Bible teaches. Verse 14, and if Christ be not risen, then is, your, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is vain. Wow. What he's really saying is, the one who rises from the dead is the one that's changed. The one who rises, when your prophet rises from the dead, Islam, we'll listen to him, but until then, forget him. He's dead. David Koresh rises up out of the ashes in Waco. We'll believe it's all true. As long as he's still dead, we're not believing a word of it. Right? Karl Marx rises from the dust. Trotsky and Lenin, all the communist gods, they rise from the dead. We'll believe they were right. Until then, call a bunch of bunk. Let's lift our hearts and our hands and our minds and our voices right now. Once again, thank you for joining the Cornerstone Worship Center podcast, Building a Better Life. Check us out on the web at cwc5.com.